Praise be Jesus Christ. Slava Jesus Christ. Please be seated. The rich young man in the gospel today is obviously a man of virtue because he came to Jesus, who he knew as a great preacher and maybe recognized as the Son of God. And Jesus, he meets Jesus, and he says, what much I do to be perfected, healthy, saved. Three words. He didn't say those, but they're synonyms. And Jesus gave him the Ten Commandments. Like a good Jew would. And he says to him, I already do all these things. And he says, then, give up what you have and come follow me. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Actually, the gospel is not a mystery, but it's difficult to get, take people to give up what they have. Now, that's one of the things we do in the monastic life. But of course, the last thing they want to give up is their favorite sins. They like to take them, keep them. God will understand. No, no. It's not your Mercedes Benz. It's not your house. It's not your Waterford crystal. It's not your imported china from England. They want your heart. But you want to keep that for what you want. So you're not really keeping the commandments at all if you're selfish with God. And you make plans that you're not going to do what he wants. Some vocations are frightful. So you hear about the young man and he's speaking to God and he's afraid to talk to God about his vocation because he says this to God. He's doing everything, he thinks. But he wants to get married. Or he wants to be, keep his Mercedes. Or he enjoys his money. And he likes the world. That's sort of the condition of most men in the world. But, what you're supposed to do is listen to the prayer of God in your heart and ask him what he wants you to do. In this case, he was praying and God told him to come follow him. Give all that stuff up. Get rid of your possessions. 
In the early church, the time of St. John Christensen, Basil the Great, great theologian, thousands of people were going out into the desert to live, give up their possessions, to live a frugal life, a holy life. There were different groups of monks, and some of them spent the whole day deciding the Psalter and eating very little. Some sat in um, caves until their clothes fell off. Anthony the Great, he didn't have any clothes. Just his beard. And the bishop came to see him and he brought him a habit so he could look decent, you know. And Anthony says, oh, okay, I'll save it for my burial. Outside Anthony's cave, there Fruit, uh, fig tree grew. And he ate that fig off that tree. That was like his food. And birds gave him, brought him food to the air. And the water was way down this mountain. And he had to walk down there with his pail and get the water for the day. What did Anthony do all day? Was the great mysterium tremendum, the great mystery? He talked with God in his heart. That was his treasure. Everything else was given away. In the early church, you read the Philokalia, if you believe what's in there. We read it every day at the office. And the lives of the saints and all these things. Philokalia's collections from these other great books. And sometimes you hear things that the saints did that you don't think you'd like to do that. But you want to be a saint. And you have a plan. But is it God's plan? Some people would get married, but they would live as brother and sister, or they'd go talk to a monastery there. What did they get married for? Maybe to keep, make sure that each of them was safe from the world, that they were not going to have the marital embrace because it was impure, it was a passion. So recently, a young man I've known for years, <coughs> he, is in the he was not a monk in the monastery, but he was here straightening himself out for a while. And, uh, and that lady, and he got married. Now they're going to have their second child. She calls me on the phone and says, Father, I cannot pray. 
I says, well, you're living a life of passion. You're a married man. You have the marital embrace. It's very much an object of your thought. And it stops the prayer in your heart. Even when you try to pray in your heart, your passions sometimes are aroused. I said, although one time you were contemplative, you prayed well, you're married now. And that makes difficult times. Maybe on, later on in your life, when things settle down, you may try to go to contemplative prayer again. He sighed. not only happens to people who marry, if they once had a very contemplative life and they lose that because their concerns are for this world. Their first obligation is of the married state, children, making a living. Anthony in the desert sat there with nothing, not even clothes, but he's completely absorbed in the light of the life-giving trinity. That's what was necessary. To be a person of mystical prayer. Interesting. Some widows are like that. Some men are like that. But most men just want to feed their passions. They get frightened when you tell them they're not going to last too long. Or they make new passions. Fancy cars, sports, money. They're all idols. <coughs> if God wants you to be rich, he'll give you money. I bought four churches. I didn't have any problem raising the money for the four churches. They were all paid for when they were built. Ah, uh, of course, I'm a celibate. And I uh, try to live a very, very contemplative life. But that's a gift, too. But it's the greatest gift. So anyway, we just current return from our pilgrimage, annual pilgrimage to Our Lady of Perpetual Health, Mother of Perpetual Health. And I built that shrine some years ago. I wanted a shrine to Our Lady that was not exclusively Eastern and not exclusively Western. It would appeal to all the Catholic Church and even people outside the Catholic Church who learn about the love of the Mother of God for them and how she treasured her son. And of course, she was a virgin. Because she had to carry the most holy of holies, the Son of God himself. She's a bride of, the, of God. She had to be completely pure. So even this feast of the Dormition, the Mother of God, her heart, her heart, her soul, her body didn't 
experienced corruption when she fell asleep with the Lord and she did die. But her son came and picked her up and took this pure ark that had held him to the heavenly kingdom, the all-pure, all-holy, all-prayerful mother of God. She didn't argue with God when the angel Gabriel came to her and said to her, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. You were conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and what is in your womb will be of God. She said, Let it be done to me according to your word. All of us are called to conceive God in our heart, not as dramatically and as our Blessed Mother, the Mother of the Savior, Jesus Christ, but as a temple of the divine energies that come from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to accomplish that deification, even in this life, is a great journey, a great attempt. But if you're worried about all these other things, it's so very important, you won't make the journey. So the guy calls and says, I can't pray like I used to. I said, because you have a different vocation. I said, you can be holy, but you'll not get deification, the theology of mystical, mystical prayer. And you can live your whole life as a celibate and may not get it. But when you go to the veil of the heavenly kingdom, you'll be flooded with it. And you'll be so happy. There's no marriage in heaven. Don't delude yourself. So I was a young man, Michigan State University. I used to like to go out to dance and things like that. I lived a pure life. I wasn't going to let those women tempt me like that. And I was kneeling in church. I put one statue of Our Lady. It was of the Newman Center. I always made a visit to her every day anyway. Not only the Blessed Sacrament, but you see the Blessed Sacrament every day if you can. In the early church, you know, the early fathers, they didn't say liturgy every day. They said that on great, on great occasions, like Sunday. But they kept the Eucharist, and every day they received the Eucharist. That's what we do in the monastery, by the way. Not every day is a Eucharistic day. But certain days are certainly Eucharistic days. Now, to do that, you have to have a pure life. So it's hard if you're thinking about all these other things and you want to receive the Eucharist there.
I remember when I was in the parish, I was only in parish for, uh, in New York for four years before I went in the military, and there were a couple in church. They were up in years. I think they were 75 apiece or something like that. Or I think they're actually, they were older than 75. They were getting ready for their 75th wedding anniversary. So the one, the wife had sort of a, a crippled limb. And uh, I thought it'd be a gesture, a good gesture if when I was giving out communion, I'd go down and bring a communion. But what would happen was, uh, what they would do is he would hold on to her and they would come up to receive communion. And they told me, please don't bring the Jesus down. We want to come up to you. And we can hold on to each other. They were in their old age. They were not in childbearing years. They were living a pure life. They received the Eucharist. And in that life, they found sanctity. Interesting. So in the early church, the preference was not for marriage. It was for sanctity. They said, what's going to happen to the world? Don't worry about that. There's not so many people that don't even know about this stuff. But we have to convert them. Loving God is be our holy, obsessive desire. We cannot love him off if we love him a little bit, we're lucky. The person that loves God is consumed by the presence of him for the life of grace. Deification. And the food for that journey is the Holy Eucharist. Who lived that life? The Blessed Virgin Mary. When our Lord ascended, the apostles took care of it. You read in the Acts of the Apostles, they're gathered together, and she's in their midst. What was she doing there? She was teaching them of the things she knew about spirituality and about her son. Now the gospel, the end says, here's your mother. She was carrying each other of us in, near her heart and she interceded with prayer for her son to be born in us the great light, mysterium, tremendum, of the life and the Trinity in a person. A Christian. So the priest that spoke at the pilgrimage, he talked about working with street people. And he's a quite a dramatic person. He's an extrovert too. And he goes out, and he stood when he was just a young priest, uh, he started doing that. He'd go downtown Denver and talk to people and do things like that. 
And some would ask him what he was, they didn't know what a priest was, and some would ask him why he was wearing that collar and all sorts of things. He got all sorts of reactions. He said, we talked to them. Not all of them came to the Catholic Church, but some did. But the visitation of Christ was upon them, and the priest that talked to them was the voice of God. I don't think I could do that, go out in the street and just do that. I will do that, but some people usually talk to us when we're out shopping and things like that, but this was like the, you know, the street people, the people. He said, oh, not all street people are unholy. Some are just down on their luck. Some of them, they never had the opportunity to learn about the Christian faith. Some of them were prejudiced against it by the people they lived with or met. Why? Because we have to keep the Ten Commandments, we have to fast and pray to make a household in your heart for the coming of Jesus Christ and the Holy Eucharist. And you have to give up each other to Christ if you're married and then learn what it is to live in Christ and to love each other because you're beautiful in his grace. Name Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen.